Welcome to the Wise Women Diaries podcast. This is where shame and victimhood die. I am a woman that questions everything, so this podcast is a reflection of that. Here we speak on non-mainstream perspectives, like healing our childhood wounds, learning to trust ourselves, the voice of fear versus intuition, and how children are our teachers. We discuss what it looks like to own your power as a woman and step out of the medical paradigm. That's why I am obsessed with interviewing women who trust their bodies and babies in home birth and free birth and their wild journey from maiden to mother. Ultimately, this podcast is for women who want to thrive and have inner peace, learning how to take radical responsibility for their life and shed victimhood for good. Hi, my name is Anna and I'm a mother. I am a singer and a songwriter and I am so passionate about walking with women to reconnect to their worth and reclaim authority over their life in every possible way. My journey with that started, I would say, I would say five years ago with the birth of my son, with me choosing to home birth. I thought at the time that that was a really evolved <laughs> choice, like compared to what I grew up in. I, I grew up in a family, a big family of many women, aunts, cousins, a lot of female cousins that were older than me and became mothers before me. Um, I come from a family with four kids, but everyone did everything in the system. And once I started to share that I wanted to birth at home, everyone was like, oh my God, you know, that's not safe. You shouldn't do that. But I knew, like, I knew I had at least done enough research and tuning within to know that I could handle it. So I continued down that path and I met with a couple different midwives and I had the belief, you know, like so many women do that everything's going to be natural. I just need to find a midwife I can, I can connect with and feel comfortable with. So I thought I found that <laughs> and it was actually two women, two midwives that worked together. And, um, I thought that was cool. And they told me how many babies they had delivered. And I now know that that's like such a red flag to be like, I delivered this, like you didn't deliver the baby, the mother delivered the baby. Um, my time with my midwives while I was pregnant felt pretty good. And I was doing all the things to um, prepare for my birth, like reading all the books, taking all the classes, um, I was still continuing care. I was with Kaiser at the time just to like save money. Like I got like the 20 week scans done, which I now regret, but or like I would now choose differently. So yeah, I was doing all this care, going to all these birth prep classes and I even tried hypnobirthing, but everything just felt like it disconnected me from myself and it felt more confusing and I felt more stressed out instead of feeling like more empowered and more in tune. I just, I felt like 
this isn't how it's supposed to be. But I didn't know how to get to where it was supposed to be. Like, I remember crying when I was trying to figure out what to put on my baby registry. Like, what stroller am I supposed to get? Like, stuff that doesn't matter. And where my focus shouldn't have been. So yeah, I knew I, knew I needed to trust myself, but I didn't know how. And I was subconsciously centering my midwives and giving them my authority. I just thought they'll take every care of everything at my birth. And I just assumed it would all be natural. I had no idea um, about all the interventions they have and do routinely and do to keep their license. So once I went into labor, it was in the, it was like at 4 a.m. And um, my husband at the time, he was a bar manager. So he, he was just getting home from work, missing out on a night's sleep. <laughs> but yeah, once labor started, I felt pretty good. And I was on my own for like four or five hours till the midwives came. And I was just riding the waves. I was like in my body, it was all happening. And I was, I was trusting, even though, you know, I'd never experienced those types of sensations before. And then my midwives came to our apartment at like 8, 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. And they started setting up the, um, the tub for me to labor in. And I got in there and then that's when my water broke and my midwife decided to check me, do a cervical check. And she saw that I had a cervical lip, which is like not perfectly dilated. So that's a red flag to them. And that's when they like start getting out all their interventions. Um, and that's when the fear set in. I was shocked by the, um, my waters breaking. That's when I definitely started to get disconnected from my body, from having hands inside my body. It feels wrong because it is wrong. Like no hands should be in <laughs> inside of your vagina or touching your cervix um, when you're in birth. I just think it's so insane. So that's when the directed pushing started. She was, for a while, she was putting her hands inside me on each contraction to try and like fix the, the cervical lip. And that was excruciating. So yeah, I, I just was totally disconnected from my body. And then this went on for five hours, this directed pushing, hands inside me. I didn't know, I wasn't listening to my body. I wasn't able to see what position I needed to be in. And so it finally got to where like they were screaming, like, you know, like football coaches, like push, push, get, like get this baby, gotta get this baby out. They were checking his um, heart rate and oxygen and that were, it was all dropping because every time you push your, you know, it does take oxygen away from the placenta and away from the baby. And I didn't have any natural urges to push. Um, my last natural urge to push was when my water broke, which was hours ago. So, she ended up doing an episiotomy. I, I didn't feel like I fully consented to that. It was just like, we need to do this. And I was already like so disconnected. Yeah. So she gives me an, episiot an episiotomy and then he slips right out and they put him on my chest, but he's like limp and pale and which is fine. But I, I now know it's from all that directed pushing and disconnection and hours, hours of this. And so the midwife proceeds to um, try and uh, like rub his back and then she takes him off of me and hangs him upside down and then flips him back up 
side the other way and then <laughs> puts her mouth over his to like breathe air into his body. Yeah, just terrific. And she did, they did a couple other things. They have an oxygen thing, they do too. But all this like disconnection. Um, and while she was doing that, the other midwife, I'm trying to remember if that was at the same time because I was disconnected um, from my body. But I think it's while she was doing that, the other midwife was forcefully pushing my uh, placenta out. What's that called? I forget what that's called. Fundal massage, yeah. I think. And that was more painful than birth. Um, that was the most painful thing I've ever experienced. And before she did that, she gave me a shot of Pitocin, which again, I didn't know they did. And I was too like in shock and, dis and disconnected. So it was a shot of Pitocin, remove the placenta, handle my son and try and get, you know, his oxygen levels back to a normal. Yeah, it was just like so many shocking things all at once. Um, and I'll back up a little bit. So right after he was, right after he was put on my chest, my midwife's kissed over my bloody legs, like in rejoice, like we did it. It was the weirdest, <laughs> like most, um, it was, it just felt disgusting and like the perfect embodiment of like everything that was off in my birth and in my, what did they kiss? They like kissed each other on the lips. The midwives leaned over me. The, the midwives <laughs> kissed each other over you. Yeah. Like in celebration, like we did it. It's done. He's here. Yeah. Yeah. It was so weird. It was, so, it was so weird. It, I did, I held him for a couple minutes and then they, um, they cut the cord, which I had wanted delayed cord clamping. And then after they cut the cord is when she started all the oxygen stuff and then when they removed the placenta. But, you know, cutting the cord, it that stopped oxygen from going to my son. That could have helped. There's so many things that just were weird and wrong. And um, I was too shut down to, to use my voice, even though a part of my brain knew like, wow, this is so weird and so wrong. So after they tried to get his oxygen levels to like a better state and they're like, we need to call, we think we should go, we think we should transfer. So I was like, okay, okay. Uh, and they, um, so, you know, like six really good looking firemen came into my bedroom cause I was in LA and like, you know, everyone was probably like an actor or a model. <laughs> Like all these EMTs, and that's what's weird. That's what I remember. That's how disconnected I was. Like, wow, they're so handsome and good looking, and this is so weird. They hadn't even like sewn me up yet. I was, I still had blood everywhere. Like, the placenta was on the kitchen table, and they were like, "Yeah, you know, his oxygen's low. We should probably take him in." Um, but he had to ride in an ambulance with my husband, and I had to go in a separate one because I was still like, all you know, I had just given birth. So, so many points of, of disconnection. And then one of the midwives came to the hospital with me and she was, she was just really in shock and really defensive and, um, to the doctors there that were trying to help me and sew me back up. And, and so my son was in the NICU for five days. You know, this is sadly a common story of like, yeah, I transferred my son. Went, yeah, he 
and I think he was really fine. They thought he might have had fluid in his lungs. Um, he didn't. He had meconium right as he was born, just right as he was born, so they were worried about that, but there's no way it was, there was no way it was in his body, but that was a worry. I was in shock for like a while after giving birth to my son, but um, through nursing him and breastfeeding and um, building that relationship is where I started to be able to tune within finally <laughs> and um, hear that inner wisdom that we all have and listen and not continue to outsource my, my authority to everyone outside myself. There's so much bad information out there and so many ways to disconnect the mother and the child, like sleep training and, um, you know, as long as your baby is fed, it's like, like there's so, oh God, there's so many reasons why breastfeeding is important. And all the external sources and external um, advice, it makes it harder. Like the way things are naturally innately are simple. The hard part is like letting your ego self die letting your the maiden part of you die in a way so the maternal you can be born and there is a lot of sacrifice internally that has to happen to get there and i think that is why so many people want to outsource and don't want to fully step into their role and fully step into their ownership over their life. It's much easier to like be a victim of your choices or lack of choices. Yeah. So do you feel like your breastfeeding connection with your son is what made you feel into what it feels like to be a mature mother so that then you could reflect on your birth to see, whoa, I was not that. I was, I was putting all of my authority outside. I want, I hired midwives so that they could be my responsibility so that they could save me that did kind of manifest because then they saved your baby but because of their sabotage yeah 100 percent. i unconsciously chose these women that didn't trust birth and didn't trust women's bodies yeah exactly it it manifested as them saving my son and me um oof. yeah it's quite the the firewalk of um, oh fuck, like, <laughs> what did I unconsciously do? But yet it's still my responsibility to take ownership, get new information so I can make new choices. And so, yeah, be, be the woman I want to be and be the mother I want to be. Because what they did to you was so wrong for so many reasons. It's blatant abuse and blatant sabotage. And there's still that part that you've addressed that you unconsciously chose them to be your authority. And so both are true. Yeah, you're right. That's exactly right. <laughs> so with breastfeeding, there is, there's no, there's nothing that separates you from your child in that moment. It gets me emotional because it's so sacred and it's so beautiful. It's, it's just the most natural thing there could ever be. So, yeah, like, and you you do it, you know, through the day and through the night if you choose to breastfeed your, your babies. And it's when you don't want to, it's when you do want to, it's when you're starving, it's when you have to pee. 
um, it's always. So you're constantly meeting your edge of, it's always, it's a constant never ending expansion. That's how I see it. Like, how can I soften? How much more could I hold? How, um, how can I show up for myself and for my son? So yeah, that's when I, I started listening to other women's free birth stories and hearing my story and so many of their stories and realizing, wow, okay, I see what happened. I see what happened. I see what I was wanting to do, but I didn't know how to do. I didn't know how to heal my self-worth. I didn't know how to really claim my power as a woman and trust in my knowing. And to me, the trust piece is really, really important and what connects everything. But the way that I've learned to trust is by, by learning or relearning <laughs> that I am inherently worthy and that I am whole and I'm not broken, but my actions are what makes me feel that and know that intellectually and physically, like on a soul level. So like by not abandoning myself, by having boundaries, by learning how to reparent my inner child while also holding space for my son when he was, you know, having a tantrum or, you know, needing all the things. It's in those moments of wild expansion where I think that's where trust is built. The journey of self-trust, because when we choose someone to be our authority, we don't trust ourselves. And that's what your birth showed you. It was the manifestation that you didn't trust yourself yet. And then when you're ready to see that truth, you know, wherever it came from in your past, when, when you were ready to see that truth, you took the initiation on, on healing that. I'm curious, until you heard Freebirth stories, what was your story about your home birth? Um, oh, good question. I felt like my body had failed me and that I was broken and that it was a punishment for, for even thinking I could. It's the story of my extended family. The women in my family, like the undercurrent was, how dare you? How could you? It's unsafe. You're not made to do that. The concept of like trusting your body in that way, wrong. <laughs> just out of line with the um, abusive system of, you know, emotional, emotionally immature maiden women. So your home birth really highlighted the generational pattern for you to see mm -hmm. and for you to heal and close the loop. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, so my birth, you know, it was a gift for me to begin my awakening. And I'm someone that definitely has to learn, like, by being in the fire. I can't, sadly, <laughs> I can't just, like, see a fire. Usually I have to, like, go get burnt. Yeah, so once I started hearing other women's stories and, and, and taking ownership over, oh my gosh, this is, this is what I chose and this is why I chose it. I then found belief work and ways to uncover, you know, our self-worth, 
just learning about where our self-worth comes from, from our childhood and from the stories we told ourselves to survive whatever dysfunctional environment we were growing up in. Um, and I think we all have that to some degree. What, what do you want to segue into next? Yeah, in like a nutshell, I like when my son was one, I moved back up in with my mother because that was when I got separated and began my divorce process. So it was a lot of things compounded all together, which woke me up to the generational trauma and abuse that I, um, and I grew up in like a religious cult. So I was like, there was a lot of emotional abuse that wove the tapestry of my childhood. So I could talk about that. I'm curious how the religious cult has programmed you. Does it relate to your birth story or, or just how has it programmed you? Spiritual and emotional abuse, it disconnected me from uh, who I was for so many years. And with that, I also had like that rebellious spirit and that I learned how to stand up to abusive authority figures from a young age. So I had both of those things happening. So like once I can see the whole picture, I'm good at creating boundaries, I would say. I think with a lot of religious programming, I actually did a post on this. With religious programming, we are programmed to put our authority outside of ourselves because we're taught that our flesh is sinful and wrong and bad and we can't trust our body we can't trust you know thoughts and feelings everything about like the human self is evil basically and so we have to like cut ourselves off from our selves and seek god mm -hmm. and seek divinity but i think that's how it shows up in birth is that you cannot trust yourself and why would you because you were taught as a child that everything is bad and sinful and your flesh is bad and sinful. So of course you want to hire a savior, an authority to save you from your sinful, fleshful self. Like to me, it all ties in. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And then we see it all and we're like, oh, wow. I actually don't trust myself because my whole childhood taught me that myself is bad. <laughs> so... So I need, I need to do all this, I need to do all this rewiring to get back into this connection with my soul. My authentic self is my soul. And that soul is divinity. And that's not bad and that's not evil. Yeah, I think that is a big piece of it. That's exactly it. And that's what I uncovered in my, in my limiting beliefs and in my low self-worth is that at the core of who I became to survive was that my story was that I'm bad, I should be punished. That's a big one. Yeah, just generally, like, yeah, I'm bad. <laughs> I don't deserve good things. And that definitely ties back to growing up in a Christian, culty, just whacked out environment where, where people abuse their power and abuse um, spirituality and love. That's what I think God is, is love. Yeah, so it, it severs <laughs> it severs your connection to the truth, which is that you're innately whole and loved and not perfect, and that's okay. We're not supposed to be. 
Um, yeah, so that was definitely a big piece of of all the unlearning and coming back into my authority, taking authority over my life. And it's been interesting to learn how to reparent myself while being a parent, you know, because if you go into motherhood having not already done that work, <laughs> you, um, you, you will mess up and it will be very messy, but you can repair and you can get new tools, which I have done. So initially I would, like all the women that came before me, I felt like a victim when my son was having a hard time. I felt like, man, you know, I'm doing all these things. Why is this happening? And of course, the reason it was happening was because of what I was or wasn't doing. It's always a reflection of my emotional state, how much space I can hold, my nervous system, which, I've only really been learning about this past year. But if I didn't have safety in my body, how can my son have safety in his body? He can't. <laughs> I mean, our, I think our children co-regulate with us till they're seven. It's, again, so simple. But if you don't know it, it can feel impossible if you don't have the information. So, so yeah, the first few, the first couple years of his life was me really clunkily, like, learning how to reparent myself when I got triggered and learn how to process my yeah my feelings so I could hold space for whatever he needed and that's an ongoing process it's not like you know it feels amazing I still get triggered <laughs> almost daily but then I have to uh, but I have tools and then I know why I'm getting triggered and I know how to create safety in my body and I know how to help him create safety in his body yeah it's the classic if we cannot be with the discomfort of our own tantrums or the discomfort of our own blame, victimhood, sadness, grief, how can we sit with a child? It's impossible. It's impossible. And so when you're trying to reparent yourself while parenting, that's such a task. That's such a task. You're trying to have mm -hmm. compassion for this innocent being that's learning emotions for the first time but you never got that as a child and so you're trying to have that that compassion for that innocent inner child within you too <laughs> you're trying to have it for yourself and mm -hmm. your child and that takes a lot of practice mm -hmm. and so many parents are in your shoes right now yeah it's so true when my son was one almost two is when I separated from my husband. And that's when like the lockdowns and everything, it was in 2020. So every, like a month after that, everything shut down. So then I hadn't been planning on moving up to Northern, Northern California. I'd been in LA, but then I decided to stay up there um, with my mother on this property. Um, Cause there was space, there was like three different homes like it was like a compound, you know? <laughs> so it was kind of perfect during that time of everything being shut down. What was interesting is that I was, I was slowly, you know, taking more responsibility for my life and waking up to like stuff that wasn't working and stuff that was. And living with my mother while I was doing that was just really intense because I started to see all our, um, just the dysfunctional ways um, 
in emotionally abusive ways, truly. I know older generations, their theme is like, well, we did our best, and that's in the past, but that doesn't help, and then there's no ownership and no accountability and no connection. It's just more disconnection, more, like, gaslighting, and just fundamentally, like, how can, as a mother, I don't know how I could never treat my son the way that I was treated and brought up. I can't imagine. I can't imagine, like, not having bells go off in your head like, wow, this feels really wrong. <laughs> Maybe I should change something. So that's when I really started to use boundaries and um, use them from a place of knowing my worth, not just from a place of um, rebellion. It, it, it was like from a more grounded place. So yeah, during nap time, I would do this like deep inner child work and like meditations and um, <laughs> reprogramming, if you will. And I was slowly creating more, um, more safety and more, more connection to my knowing within. And then going through my divorce even deepened that all for me and deepened my understanding of my part and all the dysfunction in my life and all all the areas that I blamed and shamed and um, controlled. And I was really in my, you know, masculine energy in my marriage. Um, I hate to admit that, but I really was. And I was really hypervigilant. If you want to speak on that, I would love that because I think it's a very common theme. Because us women, we are hurt from our childhood or teen years in some way that causes us to put up that masculine shield and hyper-independence and hyper-control so that we don't get hurt again. And we have this epidemic of women that are so masculine and then the men have to be passive, usually. Usually there's that, there's that dynamic in, in relationships right now. And my husband and I have dealt with that and that's what we've been reversing because I've had my masculine shield for years and years. That's why I was so hyper-controlling, hyper-critical. And I've said mm -hmm. this on other podcasts and I always like to say it in case, just so I can spread the message wide and far. A lot of women say, I want my man to be more masculine. But what would happen if he got more masculine? You would have to lose your control issues. Mm -hmm. You would have to trust and surrender. You'd have to get into your feminine and surrender to the masculine. And that is the scariest thing for a female is to surrender and trust the masculine. So we have our conscious mind telling us, I want my man more masculine. But your inner child, your subconscious, your shadow self says, F that. I need my control issues to feel safe in this world. I need my control issues to feel safe in this marriage. And, and it's, it's, to me, it's about being radically honest with that shadow part of ourselves that doesn't want to let go of control because control makes us feel safe. That masculine shield around a female is how we've learned to create safety for ourselves. And so it's about creating safety within our own selves to then open ourselves up to the masculine. This is an epidemic. 
Yes, <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Yeah, um, oh gosh, I want to clap. Um, <laughs> yeah, creating safety within, I'm like putting my hands under my legs right now. So I, <laughs> um, yes, that's exactly it. That creating safety within, it sounds nice. Like what the F does it mean? I would hear this before and be like, okay, yeah, like, like okay, so does that mean like, I need to do more like face masks and um, I don't know, like, you know, <laughs> meditate. No, it's just, it's really like messy, uncomfortable work of not suppressing feelings and learning to sit with the discomfort, like you're saying, learning to sit with that shame, anger, that sadness, whatever it is, that parts of ourselves that we want to hide, the parts of ourselves we had to hide as children and holding space for them and saying, it's okay, like, of course you feel this way, but I got you now, right? That reparenting, re I got you, I have new tools, I'm gonna keep you safe. So that child parts of ourselves can actually learn to feel safe. And then you follow it up through your actions and through not abandoning yourself to please others. You know, people pleasing is a big theme. And I was definitely a people pleaser in my closest relationships before my friendships and and in my marriage I I was I would do stuff to appease him but from a controlling place not from an open loving healthy place that's I mean that's totally it is how do we create safety within yeah how to how to get there thanks yeah. for thanks for speaking on that because we talked about how we hear the words oh create safety within Okay. What does that mean? What does that mean? And there's on the journey of healing, you hear it and it goes into your brain. You're like, Oh, interesting. And then you get to this point in time where it latches in and you understand what it means in your body. And when you start embodying it and mm. feeling it in your body, that's when you can start acting from that place and it can take time. And so for me, for me, creating safety within myself meant noticing when I wanted to critique, criticize, control my husband. And what if I didn't? What if I zipped my lips? What does that feel like? That overwhelming urge mm. to control or critique, you know, stupid things like you're in the kitchen and, and they're they're doing a habit in the kitchen that you don't like. It's, it can be so stupid. And what would happen if you just zipped your lips and you didn't say anything? What does that feel like in your body? That's uncomfortable. That's so uncomfortable. And it can also be applied to children, right? Your, ch your child's making a mess. It's making you very uncomfortable. And then you want to tell them to stop making a mess because it's making you so uncomfortable and you want to control their expression. You want to control your child. You want to control their expression. What if you said nothing? What if you did not critique them or criticize your child and you said nothing, you let them be messy? How does that feel in your body? It's so uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable. <laughs> and that is how you start creating safety in your body is sitting with that discomfort and not letting that overwhelming urge to control to come out. And having your having compassion when then you do control and you're like, oh, I just controlled. 
have compassion. And it's just about curiosity. It's mm. curiosity. It's curiosity. It's leaning in and asking why and being with the discomfort. It's being aware of all of these little patterns. And the little patterns are little moments throughout the day. They're not big moments. They're little moments. 100% that is it. That is exactly it. All those little moments. Yeah. Oh, just brilliant. I love how you summed that up. All those little moments where, where, yeah, like where you want to control, where I want to control my son, where I want to rush is a big one. And what happens when I don't, what does that feel like? And it's usually one dysregulated, dysregulated nervous system response. It's usually fight or flight or freeze. <laughs> um, and with strangers, it's fawn. That's my go-to one. It's like, and you can start to just sense like the actual physical sensations, like the constriction or like holding my breath weird or like certain angles. I'm like, what am I doing? Like with my head, you know, it's like, I'll notice, I'll notice these things. I'm like, oh, okay. Like you can stand up and you can, sometimes I literally have to shake it out. Cause I'm like, wow. Okay. It's okay. But having that awareness, yeah. <laughs> What's an example of when you want to rush? I want a real life example. Yes. So just getting out the door. Because kids move naturally like 20 times slower than you want to. Like getting his shoes on now, like today. Getting socks on. They'll get distracted or they want to talk about something. There's a lot of moments for connection during these during, in my mind, I'm like, we're getting ready, we're leaving. <laughs> and unless it's like, we rarely have a thing where it's like, we have to be there since I homeschool, you know? My schedule's really fluid. But yeah, in my mind, it's a control thing. I wanna rush so I can feel in control. And why do I wanna feel in control? Cause I'm feeling unsafe. And why do I feel unsafe? Um, it could be anything, but maybe I haven't connected with my inner child today. Maybe I need to move my body. Maybe I'm thirsty. <laughs> you know, it can be, it can be hunger. It can be food. It can be tired. It can be emotional, but yeah, it's usually, it's a disconnection for myself and then a wanting to control the person closest to me. So it was my ex-husband and that comes up with my mothering and then I can notice it and tune back in and take care of my inner child and then meet him in connection again. I love that you said that on his way out the door, there's these moments of connection and the adult brain is just like, we got to get out the door because X, Y, Z, all of these adult reasons, right? We can't be late and we can't, you know, disappoint someone by being late <laughs> and all these things. And a child is just like, but it could be a beautiful journey on the way out the door. And we can connect through these different moments on the journey on the way out the door. And that's, that's really who they are. That's who they are. Mm. What's important. It's, it's always what's important. Children know what's important and it's connection. They're mm -hmm. always bringing us back to that, back to that, back to that. 
they don't operate from this program space of people pleasing yet. You know, they don't care about being late because disappointing someone. They're like, I just want connection mm. with my mom. <laughs> That's so, it, see, it's so simple. <laughs> it's so simple. Yeah, it's, it is exactly that. And it's wanting, wanting to be seen for who they are. And they're offering so many opportunities for that connection. And for those of us that were silenced and controlled and minimized as children, yeah, it's the go-to is to control and is to want to shut it down. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's what you said. It's all those little moments throughout the day of choices. We, we can become aware and make new choices. And I, you know, sometimes I mess up. I always mess up. Um, but overall, I, there's more connection than disconnection. Overall, I'm holding more space and creating more safety with the tools of attunement and connection to my intuition and to the truth, you know, that we are all innately worthy and innately loved and um, we aren't bad and we aren't being punished and uh, yeah and that it is so simple but it is a firewalk if you didn't grow up with those tools it's a wild expansion just constantly and I am so grateful for that so grateful for that being able to expand physically in my body like with different postures I started getting into like primal movement and like that's been interesting <laughs> and that connects to the nervous system piece and our nervous system connects to our everything our emotions and our ability to source safety within and if you don't have like a place of safety to go to like from your past you can create one that doesn't exist yet and it will start to happen more in present time but it's really interesting to me yeah the body movement the body movement piece is so cool because in children we see their innate movements their instinctual movements and they're big right the way kids move their body they're flailing and flinging all over especially standing in line if, if a child has to stand in line they will not stand there and stay still that is a fully programmed trait to shut down the body sit stand still stand in the line sit down eight hours a day in school that is completely programmed into us so as adults then when a child's born and then they grow up and they start flinging their body in these instinctual ways, we think they're wild, but they're just instinctual human beings and we're silenced and programmed. <laughs> we're the weird ones. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. That's been a huge piece for me with, um, with my son. And if I, so after going through divorce and all that and um, so many moves and yeah, reprogramming and grief, I had to move through. Through that, I started getting all these chronic illness symptoms from all my years of suppression. Even though I knew stuff like we were talking about, I knew stuff intellectually and I knew stuff emotionally, but my body only knew all my past stuff. My body knew fight or flight or freeze. So 
I became bedridden last year for a few months. It was like the perfect storm, like you so often hear, of like mold and stress and um, histamine issues. So I was, I became to where everything I was e eating was making me go anaphylactic. And um, I got to where I could only eat like five foods and it took all my energy to sit up straight. So I was, I would be like cooking dinner for my son and then have to lay down on the ground, like in front, in front of the stove <laughs> in between stirring because I was so depleted. How do I even segue? I have no, I want, I want to hear the healing of this because what did that unravel? <laughs> yeah. So my mom had to fly out and essentially I, first I had to get out of the mold. I was in Texas at the time. So she helped me pack up all my stuff and we drove back to California. My son started um, getting these, started doing these vocal tics and like physical ones because he was feeling unsafe, right? This whole time. He had had me as his mother feeling unsafe and being dysregulated on a physical level. Even if my words, if I thought I was providing safety for him with my words and my actions, my body was dysregulated and he felt that. So as I came back to California and got out of the mold, I started getting better, but then I started realizing and learning even more about brain retraining and how much our thoughts and emotions and suppression of our feelings in our physical body will manifest in these symptoms of chronic fatigue of like, I would get to the point where I physically couldn't move my limbs or make my legs go forward if I pushed myself too far. It's like huge, you know, red flags my body's trying to send me of like, you need to process this stuff. You need to release emotions and make space. You need to create safety in your body. But it showed up as all these other things of um, dysregulation. That's what it all ties into, is nervous system dysregulation. So through me literally like doing these, they are meditation type things, but through me creating safety in my body, in my breath, in my nervous system, my son has started to get better as well. And he started to feel safer. I mean, it, it got to the point where I couldn't even, like if I had this right here or like had a therapy session just in the other room, he would feel unsafe and cry and it would be a whole thing. So I couldn't be away from him like at all. So he was hypervigilant. He was dysregulated. He had all these ticks, which some people would, would class as like pandas or whatever it is. The, all these weird things that can happen when a child system is overloaded. So it's been interesting just to see the more safety I can create within, truly, the more safety he could create. <laughs> yeah, you lived the truth that you had no safety in your body, so you were in fight or flight all the time. And no matter what food you ate besides like five foods, your, your body couldn't digest it or was taking it as a threat because you were in fight or flight. And what people don't understand this is this is what the basics of fight or flight and your nervous system that I just hope people can understand. When we were like primal cave woman thousands of years ago, 
the fight or flight response is a danger response of our body and it's to keep us alive. So if we saw a bear in the wild, you know, we might try and kill it or we might be scared. And if, and if our, it, both responses, if we're trying to kill it or if we're scared, our flight response or fight or freeze get turned on. And so digestion completely gets like blocked off, completely slows down because you're in survival mode. Your body is either going to prioritize surviving or healing and resting. We have these two nervous system states. And in this modern world, when we're online and someone says something rude to us, comments something on our post, or our mother-in-law tells us a backhanded comment, our body goes into survival mode because it's a threat. And our body, our mammalian body, takes the backhanded comment from our mother-in-law and it feels like a tiger or a bear or a wolf is chasing us. It's our survival mechanism. And so we could have been in rest and digest. We could have been in a calm nervous system state. But then the... mother-in-law comment geared up our nervous system and we are no longer in rest and digest. We are in survival mode. So if you don't know how to take your body back to rest and digest, back to safety, most people are in fight or flight all the time, all the time. So they cannot digest their food. So they're in, they're bloated all the time. They have indigestion all the time. They have headaches all the time. Not sleeping is such a huge piece of this because you cannot sleep if you think a bear is going to come and attack you. Your body will not let you sleep. Your body will not let you sleep if your body thinks it's going to be attacked or it's been attacked all day. So this is our adult responsibility to take our system from fight or flight to rest and digest so that our food can digest, so that we can sleep at night. And and this is like basic nervous system education that all of us just learned in the past years. All of us. Right. Because we didn't learn this as children. So then we didn't learn this as children. So then when we were like 25 years old, 30 years old, 20 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old, we're like oh, actually all of these sensations in my body, this anxiety, these constant butterflies in my belly, oh, that's not normal. I shouldn't be feeling this all the time. This is a lack of safety in my body. These body sensations of anxiety, pit in my stomach, clammy hands, shallow chest breathing, rapid heartbeat, headaches, fatigue, all of these are symptoms that our body is in constant survival mode. And it's our responsibility to take it back to rest and digest. No one can do this for us. It's not in a pill, but this is why everyone takes a pill. They take a pill instead of calming their body. Only we can do it. But not many people even want to do that. But that's our basic responsibility as adults. And when you're a parent, your child is feeding off of your own nervous system. So you really have to calm your nervous system for the whole family. It's actually a huge responsibility. 
1000%. Yeah, if I was not in tune with my inner wisdom, I could have easily thought my son's symptoms were a sign of something really terrifying and I'm sure I could have seen a lot of doctors for him and got him on a lot of pills <laughs> when um, really it's just my dysregulation. It's again, it's like so simple and there's so much accountability there. There's so much responsibility. So it's a gift and it's a responsibility and it's a blessing. Um, so yeah. And, and like if I would have heard this stuff before, about nervous system regulation, I would have thought it means I'm supposed to just feel peaceful all the time and in rest and rest and digest all the time. But what I'm learning is that I need to acknowledge and validate my feelings. So I often will like take a moment and like it like I have to do this 20 times throughout the day sometimes, sometimes 10, sometimes five. If I get triggered by something and I f feel anger, I need to like throw a pillow down at the ground or scream silently into a pillow <laughs> and then bring myself, it can be as simple as, you know, a hug and some deep breaths and um, like using your eyes to track your environment, that help, that brings safety. Just simple things, whatever it is, but the goal is to not suppress it. The goal is to express it and then yes. And then we come back to safety. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up because if we get a comment online that dysregulates us, that makes us go into fight or flight or mother-in-law says a backhanded comment, the goal isn't to become completely immune to those. I think that can happen as you create safety within your body, but the goal is to gain curiosity mm -hmm. about why the comment on social media hits us so deep. Why the comment from our mother-in-law hits us so deep. It's, that's the rabbit hole to follow, to show that, oh, I, I deeply want validation from my mother-in-law because in my childhood, X, Y, Z, we get these triggers and these dysregulations for a reason. And it's like a beautiful it's a beautiful waving flag to learn about yourself, to learn about your childhood, to learn about the patterns you took on. And, and a lot of it is, to me, it's fun. <laughs> to me, it's fun. <laughs> me too. I want to learn about myself. It's my, it's my hobby. Yeah, I think it's super <laughs> it's fun. It's my hobby. Mine too. <laughs> Totally, though. I mean, it can it can be fun. It doesn't have to be so heavy all the time. It doesn't have to feel like doing your taxes or going to the dentist. And that is that is where um, expression, the expression part of it, I think, can be fun. You know, so our awareness. We notice we're triggered. We notice we're feeling these icky feelings we don't want to feel. It can be funny, and sometimes and sometimes like saying stuff out loud to myself is funny. Like, oh, I think I'm being punished right now. That's kind of hilarious because I'm an adult and I'm not. And I know my worth as like this me today. I know my worth. I, it's ridiculous, right? It's like, okay, I can go about my day. It's okay. Yeah, that's where I find creative expression to be a beautiful piece of the healing journey 
too. It brings like a lightness and yeah, just a way to move all the pieces together kind of, so. I don't really do this anymore, but for me one time I had this really strange exchange on social media and then I remember going into my journal and and writing out what I wanted to say to them. Like, F you, blah, blah, blah. And that's expressing. Like, I was so angry in the moment. And I'm wise enough to not send that message to them. But I brought out my journal and I wrote the most rageful thoughts, most rageful words ever. And that can be so liberating because as children, we're really silenced on our words of expression because they're so unkind, right? You cannot call someone stupid. Yet then the parents are calling mother-in-laws annoying. Adults just have this, you know, passive calling whatever they want or calling their children names and then the children can't call names. But a lot of times our expression of words, you know, our silence as children because we're, we're punished and we're put in timeout for calling names. And so it's, it is a reclamation to be an adult and to have the wisdom to not say it to someone else, but bring out your journal and freaking say whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I've, yeah, I've done that many times. That is a, an amazing tool to move that um, through. I've also, since I've done it with my son, sometimes I'll just say like, you know, like color out your feelings. That can be a great tool to just like draw some really hideous, like, childlike picture of like it usually ends up being like a lot of black you know circles if you're angry but yeah just like it can be fun it can be silly it doesn't have to be so heavy but yeah you then you can just write you know like fuck you on your paper and then you didn't have to say that to the person and you can yeah. feel better <laughs> yeah I love it <laughs> This was such a good conversation. Is there anything else you feel like you want to say that was, like, important to you? Well, first of all, yeah, I just love talking with you. You're a wealth of wisdom, and it's an inspiration. It's mm, beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, just my – what drives me, like, we, like we've been talking about, and I think the biggest um, – what I hope someone could take away from this is just that the more – the more you can soften into safety and soften into your worth and take ownership and reclaim authority over your life in every way, it all comes back to ourself. But our relationship, as we know, with ourself affects all our relationships. Um, it affects how we move through loss. It affects how we um, will mother. It affects how we mother. It affects everything. And it really is so simple fundamentally. It can be so simple if you are just willing to take that first step of ownership. 